Hi, welcome to Gender Nebula, Season 2, Episode 5. We've got a very special guest today. It's uh, Robin Moyer-Wright from Old Square Chambers and probably the only transgender lawyer you've probably heard of. So welcome, Robin. And good evening. Good evening. Um, great to have you on the uh, on the podcast, Robin. Um, I think the you know just to get things going, um, I just wanted to talk about what kind of law it is that you specialize in. I know you you practice in all kinds of employment law, but I think it's a, it's um, employment and discrimination. Yeah, I'm a, a fairly heavyweight practitioner these days. So today is, for example, day two of a five day case here in Croydon. Right, and you were the first um, barrister to transition in practice uh, at the discrimination bar. At the discrimination bar, yeah. So, just for those who are not legal people, when you say discrimination bar, what does that mean? The group of barristers who practice in discrimination law. Okay. Yeah. So we we talk about the Chancery Bar or the Family Bar or whatever in terms of that being barristers who do chancery work or family work, for example. Okay, so how many, how many um, in this, in your kind of specialist area, would you say are, in the UK, are trans barristers who are, who have specialist knowledge in trans issues? Uh, only me. Um, in right. terms of the discrimination bar, there is one non-binary barrister who does some, some discrimination cases. But otherwise, I'm it. Because you you have been um, referred to as a terrier in the tribunals and a calm but quietly yeah. effective advocate. <laughs> yeah, um, the terrier thing is, <clears throat> I think if you get me stuck on your ankle, I'm hard to get rid of. <laughs> That's um, the kind of barrister you need on your side, really. Hopefully. And I spent today cross-examining the claimant in the case I'm here doing in Croydon. And uh, I sometimes say to... To law students that cross-examination is the second most fun you can have with your clothes on <laughs> so you must really enjoy it <laughs> yeah i i'm lucky i mean i'm 28 years i've been doing this for 28 years and i probably get as much if not more enjoyment now than i did when i started yeah so you, you are the go-to i've heard you also refer to as the go-to lawyer for trans issues um there is there is one um, interesting case that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, which was the Taylor uh, versus Jaguar Land Rover case, quite a famous one. Mm. Um, but you, you also used to be um, used to be working in a completely different field, and you? you used to be working in uh, train transportation. You were a manager in what was it for yeah, British? When I, I left when I left university, I joined British Railways on their oh. management training scheme, and for five years, my job was to make the trains run on time. And it is possible. Doesn't seem possible at the moment, does it? Gosh. Well, it was a better time, I think, because we were one British Railways. Mm. And actually, the system runs much better as a unified system than it does broken into a thousand bits like it is now. Yeah, I think that could be true of a lot of things, to be honest. You do a lot of posting on Facebook about train and car stuff, I've noticed. Well, I'm a petrol head. Yeah. Um, and I quite like my vintage aircraft as well. So, well, I've had many a fun time on the East Lanks Railway. So, uh, it's a, I think that's that, uh, that, that sounds that's that's very carry on, isn't it? 
Oh, I've had a fun time. <laughs> I didn't quite mean it like that, but I do like my old. Uh, I I do like my old steam trains, and they do like uh, like these vintage fairs and things like that. So pick me up, Rawlton Stall, on a Saturday evening. <laughs> yeah, yes, lovely, lovely. It's a lovely journey. I do have to compliment on your some of the caption things you were doing on Facebook. You know, you you put a picture and you ask for a caption. Some of those oh, yeah. were some of well, those were hilarious, really. I I have to say that. Um, and I carry it into my law that um, humor humor can be very powerful. It can be very dangerous, but if you get it wrong, but very powerful. And um, I, I've shaded into politics with a small p as well. And I think you um, you have to have a certain personal resilience and the ability to laugh at the world and yourself. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't, life can seem very long. Yeah, yeah so I was going to say a good some, sense of humour is a good yeah, thing. I was going to yeah. say I think some people find you quite stoic, and you come across sometimes as quite very serious. But online, you seem quite you know it's like you can have a laugh. But do you think that's you, you certainly can? And I, you know, there are there are times when it's appropriate to have a laugh. Mm, yeah. Um, um, and today I've been cross-examining a claimant in a discrimination case. Mm-hmm. Um, a person who has had a really tough time and it's not appropriate to make a joke about them. Mm. Um, you, you can always make a joke about the lawyers and we actually have had a bit of a laugh and joke during the day but about the lawyers or things happening in the case but not about the person who's the subject of the case. And mm. um, that's why, you know, if you're going to introduce a bit of at levity here and there you do have to be very careful about how and who and all those things yeah so you, when you were working for the the rail company um you did you did face some discrimination yourself didn't you well that's why i left that's why you left and became a barrister i believe it wasn't my choice um i uh it was a, as long ago, i'm very old so it was as long ago as 1990 when trans people didn't have legal protection in the uk and I was actually good at my job, but was hounded out because I was trans. And I was very ill for a short period and had some good friends look after me and get me back on track and got well and then um, chose to requalify as a lawyer and um, become a discrimination barrister. I can't imagine what the connection between those two things are. So that was really the thing that got you into, you know, being a barrister, lawyer, um, you know, experiencing I, I that been, kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't have been suitable. Aged, when did I go to university, first of all, aged 17, 18. Um, my first degree was chemistry at Imperial, very down-the-line science, and I was much happier inside a test tube than outside it. Um, of course, in, in America, you can only do law as a graduate school. You can't do that to start with and I think that extra degree of maturity when I went back to university seven or eight years after I'd been there the first time made all the difference in being a lawyer it certainly did for me I'm I'm sure there are plenty of good mature younger people well we're certainly glad you made that decision and when I've seen you when I've seen you in the women and equalities uh, meetings uh, I think there was one in February it was Mm-hmm. it's very very impressive and i i don't think i'd keep be able to keep my cool like you do in when you know in those kind of things it goes with but, the job really it goes with the job 
I mean, you do face a lot of, you know, abuse online. I have noticed this on Twitter. Um, when I've seen you in those women and equalities committees, you've you've had certain people sat behind you. Um, I'm sure that's yeah. a very uncomfortable experience. Well, at the meeting in January, I had Maya Forstatter and Helen Joyce sitting behind me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see it until I reviewed the uh, effectively broadcast of the committee proceedings. But they were acting in a very disrespectful way to the committee and the evidence in terms of having a laugh about things that they didn't they thought were laughable. I just think it's sad. Uh, I I think I I wouldn't. I mean how privileged I was to be giving evidence to our parliament, um, which I've done twice in Westminster now, once in Scotland. Um, And even to attend something like that as a member of the public is, is a privilege and a responsibility. And I always think if it's me there, um, I, I often have a post-it note stuck on my laptop when I'm doing things like that, that says, don't be the nutter. Because if you represent a community or a thought to represent a community then almost how you say the things you say is as, almost as important as what you say in some ways and but but it's such a privilege to be involved in such things and i think it's something to do with to treat with respect um and you know it, it can in a tiny tiny way alter the direction of travel of our country in the future and to have that opportunity to do something like that is just amazing it's great to see you representing the trans i mean i don't know how you feel about whether you feel you're representing the trans community you're just representing the facts as you see them but i've seen you on in quite hostile situations on gb news for example opposite people (laughs) which I mean, I've been in those situations, so I can kind of empathise, but you, you are so cool. I mean, the way you spoke when you were opposite Sarah Fillimore, I mean, the less said about Sarah Fillimore, the better, I think, at the moment. But when when I saw that, I thought, well, that, that is so unusual to see someone like you in a, in on a show like that, even on a TV station. Like, we know what's happened with Dan Wheaton. Uh, I, always think, I always think you have to take the battle to the enemy. Yeah, I think that and, too. Um, I think uh, that's why... Press for Change, for example, were very successful around the time, you know, in the early noughties of the 2000s in terms of getting things like the Gender Recognition Act in place because they were prepared to be out there and um, arguably you win the world one person at a time. I mean, we have very clear evidence that the attitude that people take to trans people is very different if they know a trans person or have met yes, a trans that's true. person. Yeah. I um, find that, yeah. Especially, and, sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah. you there, just saying about when, I, when I've been in those media situations, I have people message me afterwards to say it was so nice to see a trans voice because obviously there are, we, we can do podcasts and get a few hundred views, but when you're on a national broadcaster, I think that that is when you can change people's minds. Yeah, I mean, I did a, uh, before the Westminster debate, which we had, Westminster Hall debate, which we had a few weeks ago, um, I ended up on BBC Politics Live. Mm. Oh, yes, I saw that. that, yeah. And got, yes, got some abuse, but got some really nice messages afterwards mm. that said, you know, how nice to see somebody out there front and centre. Well, yeah. what's always come across to me when I have done anything like that is the 
and unfortunately people haven't listened a lot of people that hate us don't listen anyway they'll just point out the way i look and say i don't do you know what i mean just really snipey nasty things but the people that are are listening the people that care about the subject they're the people that matter and and obviously on talk tv gb news things like that their their audience is already full of misogyny and homophobia transphobia and any kind of so it's like you're, you're it's almost feels like you're sometimes being thrown to the lions you know but to stay as calm as you do and, and well yeah but the, the white family have always marched towards the sound of gunfire mm. um <clears throat> it, we we're not the easiest <clears throat> people to live with sometimes but right. about every 50 years or so you need us you know, Grandfather White um, first visited France across the Normandy beaches. <laughs> so, so that's the sort of family tradition. That's great. And it's a bit like being a barrister is a bit like that. You know, you do have to be front and centre. And the, the bar professional code talks about being fearless in the promotion of your client's case. Um, and... Either that's how you are to start with, or that's how you get sort of forged in the in the an, on the anvil of pupillage when you become a barrister. Yeah, and and um, it's what we do. So, so you, had... you've faced a lot of you know kind of harsh questioning or comments from others during some of those meetings, and you you just remain completely unflappable, stoic. You know, you stick to your point, and yeah, it's it, when, whenever I see that you're coming on a show. I always try to make sure I watch it because it doesn't really matter the topic. I just want to see somebody, you know, like you standing up for us. I think it's it's great. Well, it just... the thing is that I uh, these days get involved with um, people who are just starting out as barristers mm. or, or are uh, potential barristers who are either at the end of towards the end of their law degree or studying for the bar or whatever. And it, it, in fact, it's lovely. Uh, I mean, I'm in, I'll be 60 later this year. They are in their early 20s. And all that youth and enthusiasm and um, optimism for the future that they bring is just mm. wonderful to be part of. But it's lovely um, when they say, seeing someone who is from a diverse community, and it's not just one community, but seeing someone who is diverse getting on being in a good place having a good career yeah it, people tell me is really encouraging for younger people to think that you know they could be diverse at the bar for example and in other professions and you know be accepted in in the world and yeah it's huge, hugely important I, I i always thought that was sort of tokenism and i'd i'd always slightly poo-pooed this idea i mean back to trains um there's this train bow thing you know, where people during yeah. Pride stick a, a, a rainbow sticker on trains. Mm -hmm. And I'd always thought that stuff, and the same about being, a, um, you know, someone who, who is an example for others. I'd always thought that was, because um, it's... it's Falconism. I guess I didn't have it personally, so I just had to get on with it. And I was completely changed in my view by the fact there's a train company called Southeastern that runs around Kent, and I, I know Kent a little bit. And they did one of these train bow things, stuck a vinyl on a train. And their diverse workforce, and they had a lot of LGBT people amongst their workforce, was so made up that their senior management, had done, you know, with 50 yeah. quid's worth of vinyl sticker on a train, yeah. 
had just said, yes, we value That's what it's you. about, yeah. And um, I know that, that a number of, of staff reacted really well and thought a lot about their company and their management because they'd done that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, if that's done unprompted and it doesn't cost much, I think it's it's really it's it's really kind of a nice thing for yeah, companies to do something. to show support, it, it, you know. It has to show the philosophy of the company because there's no point yeah. doing it, you know, oh, it's Pride Month, we're going to do something. No. I mean, know, it needs, we'll needs, to, needs to be reasoning behind yeah. it, yeah. But if it, if it is actually an expression of we as a company value diversity and value our staff, whoever they are, mm. Um, then it's really important. Yeah, and if it's built into the DNA of the company throughout everything it does and all its processes, yeah, that's great. But it's like the, when I, when you see the pride flag, like say they, they put it outside hospitals, fire stations, ambulance stations, it kind of means that you know we 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 are doing our best, we're doing our little bit. It might seem like tokenism, but actually, you know, it it shows that the people at the top or the management there have thought about something, and it might. You know, even... Yeah, and in, and in quite unexpected places, um, people will have seen that the MI6 ziggurat on yeah. Thames um, flies the Pride flag and the trans flag, yeah. actually, has, and has done for Pride. And so in places that you might not think that diverse people would be welcomed, mm. actually in you know some of the most important bits of our society... Um, the management value diverse people and, and actually mm. for very good reasons because they bring to to the work of organizations like that then you know diversity and it's the same is true of other organizations diversity is tremendously important and a strengthening factor for the organization in what it does yeah if you look at the you know the top i guess the top 50 companies that are listed in stonewall's quality index you know a lot of those companies when you look at that list you would oh some of them are quite surprising you know, you know, MI MI six is one of them. You know, they're they're on there. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, do you mind if we go on to the topic of Taylor versus Jaguar Land Rover? Because uh, this was a a, a huge oh, one. It's might... Dangerous. Look, it's really dangerous to get barristers talking about their favourite case. Oh, right. Okay. Well, if you don't want to talk about <laughs> just it, as a, as a little side issue, just before we start on that, I did actually meet uh, Rose in Manchester um, okay. last year. Just by chance at the yeah. Sparkle event, we yeah. were do, I was just chatting to this person in this in this hotel reception thing that was had been put on, and it happened to be Rose Taylor, and uh, and then yeah. the penny dropped, yeah. and it was the same Rose. So yeah. yeah. Well, I did want to speak about it because it was brought up in the le- recent meeting, Caroline Noakes with Faulkner and the people from the AHRC who have been in trouble recently, and and that they did mention this case, and. As some, they, I mean, Faulkner mentioned it as something that that caused them a problem almost, and it was like I can, I can imagine why, because they had to think about something. But um, moving on, well, uh, so, it, it does. You see, the thing about diversity in society, you can have a very simple society. We had a very simple society a couple of hundred years ago, where you know, to own property, you had to be male; to be an MP, you had to be male; to vote, you had to be male. Mm. And then we moved into women's emancipation. And then, um, I mean, it's appalling to think that we only had um, a Sex Discrimination Act in 1975. I I was born in 1963 Mm. and a Race Relations Act in 1976. I mean, my father used to run building sites in London in the late 60s 
where it was normal and lawful to have signs up that said no blacks and no Irish. Mm. You know, and, and people are appalled by that idea. And you can either have a very simple society that doesn't look after people who are, are in some way diverse. But as you add in protections for different groups of diverse people, it does add more complexity into mm. how you have to protect people and how you have to run society. And Taylor and Jaguar, which now says very clearly that um, non-binary and gender fluid people are protected under the Equality Act. They, they always have been, in fact. We, we looked back at the parliamentary proceedings, which is how we showed that they were. But a lot of people didn't think so. And it, it is more complex because if you are going to, in a workplace, support non-binary people, for example, forget the, the, um, the debate about which toilets do people use if we're talking about trans people, binary trans people. But if we then add in non-binary people, you know, that is another level of complexity for an employer to have to engage with and for the equalities structures to have to engage with. I mean, we don't, yes, we now have that protection in the workplace, probably, although Taylor and Jaguar is, of course, first instance and is, so that protection is potentially fragile because it's challengeable. It didn't go to appeal. But, um, you know, the, the reasoning is from a wonderful um employment judge called Patricia Hughes, who is you know, really uh, an excellent discrimination judge. Um, but to have that complexity, employers have got to now think about enhancing their policies, ensuring that people don't discriminate against non-binary people who weren't previously protected. And so that's another layer of complexity for people to engage with or employers to engage with. And there is a cost to society in terms of each level of protection. Um, now, it's right, in my view, it's right that we bear that cost uh, and that we um, have those protections for people. But it is another layer of complexity that HR departments and employers and employers organisations and institutions like the Equality and Human Rights Commission, excuse me while I spit <laughs> screen for a moment, um, the Equality and Human Rights I'll Commission. I'll cut that bit out, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't. No, um, keep, that, keep that bit in, I think. Yeah, I think I've said a few things about the Equality and Human Rights Commission under its current management and um, commissioners. Um, it's it's like something out of, I don't know, 1984, really, in terms of you know the non-equality of non-human rights commission or what some people called it. But it, for them when they're not really into advancing rights under the current management is, as you say, undoubtedly a problem. Yeah. So, you know, I was just, just on that, you know, on that that case that was, you know, established gender fluid and non-binary individuals are protected by the act. It was the, I think it was the first case that did that. Mm. So does that, does that set any kind of precedent or do we need more? Because it's only, no, it's a first instance case, so yeah. it's not binding on another tribunal. Okay. Um, and in fact, I was due to do a case this year in the Leeds Tribunal, but that settled where the employer in the case that we we're going to hear here in Leeds wanted to argue that Taylor and Jaggy were was wrong. Now I was for the employee, so we were going to go around the same loop again. And they can do that. 
uh, until a case gets to the. I mean, the, the one of the wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about Taylor and Jaguar was how um, uh, Jaguar Land Rover and their lawyers were so convinced they were right that they fought it to the echo. Why on earth they didn't settle the case earlier? Goodness only knows, but they didn't, and they took it right through to judgment. And so we got a nice, long, helpful judgment. At that point, they they woke up and smelled coffee and didn't appeal it, although they had talked about that. Uh, so it doesn't have precedent value, but the logic and the argument in it um, have a value in terms of being applied to other cases in other courts. And it's been commented on in other cases. Yeah. So, um, and it's thought to be very well uh, very uh, uh, very well argued in the judgment by the judge so i know it's been quoted in a few other cases so that will help support other cases and at mm-hmm. some point we will get to the stage where we have um enough. i mean we'll get you know if that case in leeds had gone ahead and the employers had not liked the result and then appealed that then that would become once the case has been heard at the employment appeal tribunal it becomes precedent and is then yeah. binding on cases below but anybody's entitled to see the judgment can use the logic. Yeah, so I think I think a lot of people, especially me and maybe Frida, you know, we're not lawyers, we're, we're not legal people. So it's, sometimes it's quite well, difficult to follow. Cases. <laughs> it's quite difficult to understand and follow, you know, all these cases and what, what they mean legally. You know, you can get well, yourself a, really confused. There's a great sometimes. book. There's a great book called A Practical Guide to Transgender Law. Would that be this one? Yeah. With, <laughs> if I've um, got that book. But you can have, see, you'll have with, to put it in the middle of the kiosk, the green screen will block it. With a wonderful pair of authors, um, <laughs> i.e. myself and one of my colleagues from Chambers. Um, we we desperately need to get... We, um, we have done two free updates to the book since it's been published. And there is due to be a third one. And one of my summer tasks is to get that third update written because yeah. there there have been, and each, you can just throw the old updates away. They're available from the publisher's website. I mean, so we the, would. The publisher is law, law brief publishing. Law brief publishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I've not, I've not actually downloaded the updates, but I intend to. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're free. And we don't need right. multiple ones. So update two includes everything from update okay. one. Still there. And update three, which will be out, by the end of the summer, we'll include everything before and all the new stuff up to date. So I have read the book, and I did buy Frieda a copy. So we we both refer to this book when we're trying to understand legal cases. But it, it seems sometimes that the cases are so unique and so um, I wouldn't say difficult, but it's just it's like that. It's like when I've tried to understand the Mayor Forstater a false data case. I just it's just so convoluted and it just seems to be that the ruling is okay, you're allowed to be as horrible as you want. Okay, now go away. Seems to be the only thing that seems to no, be my only takeaway. No, no, but that's not right. Mm. Um in that holding a belief is one thing. Mm. You know, you can you can have the most horrible beliefs in your head. Mm. Now, are they protected? Well that pulls us back in from the most horrible beliefs that are not protected. But mm. um, in a free society, people have to be free to hold mm. challenging beliefs. I mean, yes. if, if that wasn't so, think about the example we were talking about earlier. We wouldn't have women's suffrage. We wouldn't have women MPs. Uh, we wouldn't have had 
I mean, it was the Grunwick dispute, but you don't remember that, that, yeah. that brought the Race Relations Act into effect. Um, in 1976, there was there was an awful dispute called the Grunwick dispute. Go and look it up. But people weren't didn't have protection from race discrimination in the UK until the mid 70s. Um, and there's another case called the, the there was a um, the Bristol bus drivers case also was part of that. They were Bristol had brought a lot of people in from the Caribbean to be bus conductors, and they'd been good conductors for a while, and the drivers were paid more than the conductors and the people from the Caribbean said, well, we'd like to be drivers. And the drivers union, they were separately represented by the Transport and General Workers Union, said, no, we're not having these awful people from the Caribbean taking our jobs. Mm. And so you had effectively two unions fighting with each other. And for a year, as I understand it, in the late 60s, you could travel free on the buses in, in Bristol because all the conductors went on strike. So wow. the buses carried on driving around, but nobody was collecting the fares. <laughs> and I think Bristol Corporation... That's a good protest. And that was another one of... So those... And, and people held views that were challenging to society at the time, mm. but we now recognise as right. Mm. Now, there are all sorts of odd views that people hold mm. uh, and in a free society are entitled to, but then you move on to the next stage and say, well, can you manifest them Mm -hmm. what can you do with those views and we at the moment have this transgender critical uh fight frankly going on mm -hmm. um and i get asked about this all the time mm -hmm. by employers and and i use an analogy and i say well look quite some time we've had uh people in same-sex relationships out in the workplace and we've also got people with strong religious views. And mm -hmm. sometimes those clash. Some people with strong religious views are not supportive of people in same-sex relationships, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have sheets of flame breaking out in all directions between religious people in workplaces mm -hmm. and people in same-sex relationships. We seem to have worked out where the boundary is. You know, mm -hmm. to what extent can you bring those views to work? Yeah. Well, and you with this, it seems very politically uh, well, but we're, we're as a society working through it in the same way that we had, mm. um, you know, the you couldn't put the signs up that said no blacks and no Irish once we got um, protection against race discrimination. At the moment, we're working through the transgender critical thing and working out where the boundaries are, how far people are allowed to express challenging views that other people might find uncomfortable um how how much how uncomfortable can you make other people in terms of expressing your views yeah. and we're plainly working through that issue um and there's a you know there is a bit of a battleground between different groups in workplaces yeah so for example there's in the civil service there's a thing called the SWN which is the, the gender critical network in the civil service. Um, civil service is quite forward in LGBT rights. Um, but now there are gender critical people in the civil service who say, well, we have our beliefs. We have a right to organize and express our beliefs. And in a free society, that must be right to some extent. But where is the boundary between having that belief and expressing that belief in a way that someone else makes someone else uncomfortable in their workplace. And 
But this is why I love my law, actually, because yeah. in the end, the law ends up, courts end up working out where those boundaries are and what rights do people have to express challenging views when they bump into other people's rights to comfortably go to work mm. and, you know, use public facilities or go to a yeah. shop or whatever, mm. um, or engage in competitive sport, for example, you know, and there are different views on rights related to that. So that's how, and, and in a sensible liberal Western democracy that we live in, the way that you resolve those rights is by partly by discussion and sometimes by litigation. And of course, we're always there to help as far as the litigation is concerned. <laughs> yeah, so this this, um, this this topic of, you know, free speech versus hate speech and where the boundary is, mm. um, it, I find that quite difficult to navigate myself. Um, you know, like when does free speech start turning into hate speech? And then, yeah. you know, when does hate speech start turning into, you know, incitement? And, and you know all that kind of stuff. He's like, it's well, very at, difficult to define the, and understand. The far edges. Well, at the far edges. We have very clear boundaries. So, yeah. um, I mean, there is an issue at the moment about uh, something that someone said on one of the Pride marches, uh, mm -hmm. Pride events in London. Yeah. Um, which was, which seemed very clearly to me to be uh, uh, encouragement about violence. Mm -hmm. Now that many people might think that goes across a line. Um, other people might take the view that it's legitimate protest and a legitimate protest needs needs to be challenging. Now, I think it's fairly clear that inciting physical violence against other people is going to go across a line. And if that's what the person did, whereas we've just had a case in Scotland, for example, where Joanna Cherry um, QC had been to the police, Casey, sorry, still still not quite got rewired from losing good old Queen, Queen Beth. Um, someone had posted on social media uh, a comment about Joe Cherry, and she'd gone to the, she went to the police with that, and there was a court case in the last few days where the Scottish courts have ruled, no, the person concerned had no real intention to cause Joe Cherry harm, and therefore wasn't going to be prosecuted for what they said. I think it was having a pop at her or something like that was mm. the phrase that was used. And so the courts looked at that and said, well, that's the right side of the line. You know, there are, you can say, once again, you can say quite challenging things I, and we don't, it, we don't put you away. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say when it comes to like an employment situations, for me, it's like if somebody is persistently uh, misgendering or trying to harm me. It's it doesn't to have to be. I mean, let's take the argument away perhaps from trans or gender critical mm. um a single racist remark yeah is wrong you know and can be harassment of someone if it's intended mm. to to make their life unpleasant or difficult yeah. or whatever and you know all three of us have been through transition of one sort or another um and we know the, the difficulty that friends have, for example, in terms of getting used to revised pronoun use and how yeah, that's, we refer to. Yeah. Yeah. And people who've known trans people for a long time often take a while to get used to new names and new pronouns. Mm. And there's a very big difference, isn't there, between 
someone who accidentally uses the wrong pronoun or the wrong name and someone and, and then there's the next level on is somebody who perhaps makes no no particular effort to get it right and then further along the dial uh, is somebody who deliberately yeah. uses a wrong pronoun or a name and mm -hmm. those people are in very much different categories okay. so I've got to say though, in like my in work and stuff, I think most people generally are fairly, you know, they just want to get on with the job because me being trans has got nothing to do with the job I'm doing. So if, no, no, if they I... start to make it something to do. Yeah. Now, I'm, if somebody wants to have a, a good faith conversation about me being mm. trans, that's fine. I'm up for that. Mm. But the problem is that a lot of the people online, the people that you know, I would say Sex Matters and LGB Alliance, they think we're trying to we have the people trying to shut down free speech because we we actually actually enjoy those conversations if they're in good faith i think but the problem for me is when somebody comes to me point blank and goes you know that you know something you're, a, you're a bloke you're yeah, a bloke yeah exactly which only happens we've to all me. had so. yeah and it, and it only happens online now um I, the only the only time in real life i've ever had a problem is when um it's kind of you know it, i've been in situations one-on-one -on -one situations with a colleague Mm. And they've got a bit too curious, and I'm thinking, well, do you really need to know about my my sex? Well, I mean, I think I think people have got to understand that mm. you know you you wouldn't ask a trans colleague a question mm. that you wouldn't ask a cis mm. colleague, for example. Yeah, yeah exactly. And right. I I always think it's important to keep those boundaries. I mean, in work terms, I, I don't tend to talk about myself when I'm running a case. Occasionally, I shade into the fact that I have. You know, particular knowledge if I'm dealing with a trans case or a gender critical case and you you can make a joke of it sometimes as well but mm -hmm. when I'm there as the lawyer even if even if it's a GC case or a trans case you know it's not about me it's about the other people uh, the people at the center of the case yeah it should never be about the lawyers so, but you know you, you but you are who you are Mm -hmm. yeah. I was I was going to say the only it's like people have tried to um, report me to my employer several times up and whenever mm -hmm. I've been on TV I get it and because they know where I work because I've done things for mm -hmm. my employer in terms of diversity and inclusion trans day visibility so they know who I am so the problem I have is I've got to say to my employer look people are going to complain about me and they'll say but the problem is I'm very vocal on Twitter so in the that I had to delete a lot of things off Twitter because I, I'm pushed into a corner sometimes by people arguing with me. And I'll say, oh, you know, I'll say some pejorative to them. They'll say some pejorative to me. I, and then yeah. I'm in trouble because I'm the person that has the public face. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, I'm in a similar position. I, I appear on social media. Mm. I never use an alias. I never hide Definitely. behind, you know, someone else's picture or... um a picture that isn't a person so i'm always very clear about who i am and therefore it's a bit like back to the having the don't be a nutter post you know, on, the side, on the side i of need the that post i need that i i have strong views about certain things and i will express those strong views uh but i am a professional and i need to be seen to be a professional mm. and we the bar has guidance and and at some extent rules about how you should appear on social media and and certainly you shouldn't appear in a way that um reduces the public view of yeah. profession because mm -hmm. you know, we we have placed enormous yeah. trust 
characters mm. sometimes in, in yeah. terms of things we do. And you need that confidence from the public mm. that you're going to behave appropriately. And if mm-hmm. if you're on social media, pinging off left and right, being vile about other people on social media, um, then, you know, potentially you you can be near or across that professional line. Yeah. Um, especially, That's something I've had to learn quite quickly. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you and I have talked about that previously, Frida, haven't yeah. we? Yes, we have. <laughs> so, the, you know, this, this kind of comes on to that topic of, um, you know, libel, defamation, slander, and what, what the official legal definitions are. You know, and as we do a podcast, and sometimes we don't have a guest, we just talk about issues that are going on in the news, and we do worry about crossing those lines. Would yeah, you we have, have mentioned would people's you have any, names, haven't we? Yeah, we, we do mention people's names, but we always try and keep it, you know, on the right side of those lines. I mean, okay. what what? How would you how would you advise us on that, uh, Robin? The best defence, of course, is if it's true, it can't be libel or slander. Mm-hmm. So, but. I always think I, I would never say anything on social media or, or on a podcast mm. that I wouldn't say in public to someone's I was, face. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say that like, we've had this thing where we call somebody transphobic. We think they're obviously transphobic, not mention anybody's names, obviously. But yeah. I've said, oh, this person's a transphobe. And so there, there's, there lies grey areas because they could say, well, what I said meant this and we've interpreted yeah. it as that. <laughs> Well, I always think it's better perhaps to focus on what's been said. Mm. So there are certain expressions and certain ways of characterising trans people that that you and I would think was offensive. Yeah. And people do that. And I think it's always better to talk about what's been said than the person concerned. because So focus on the topics rather than the individual's. I think so. I mean, um, the lawyery version of that sometimes is that lawyers are sort of, in fact, I remember saying, I've said it in court today, is to cut out the adjectives. You know, if you, if the person has said something about a trans person that is insulting or inappropriate or, um, you know, just not nice, well, that's the thing to comment on as opposed to, I think, the person. Because people can say things with all sorts of different motives they may have personal motive they may have had some sort of difficult personal interaction but i think it's very legitimate to comment on you know this expression or that expression is um is offensive to trans people because that's information that other people would find useful mm. i mean you know young people can pick up comments from adults or older people and if they hear someone saying something you know, once again, take an example that's not trans. If you get a young person who has a racist parent or racist relative, they might use an expression about people from ethnic minorities that is offensive and unpleasant mm. and known to be offensive and unpleasant in society. But if they've heard it in the home, then they might not know that. And much better to be saying, well, you shouldn't say that because this group of people will find that offensive rather than say your dad is a racist or your mum is a racist. Yeah. yeah. And that allows, I mean, and there are ways of referring to trans. We, you know, we focus on trans, uh, but we're still pretty rare in society, not big slices of society won't have met or spoken to a trans person. 
and some of the expressions about trans people that they have read in the newspapers or heard people use or whatever, they won't know that trans people find those things offensive um, and might think that they're expressions that are okay to use. But it's that's about the expression, not the person. Yeah, so keep it keep it factual, keep it on topic, and maybe not so much talking about so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that kind of thing. I That's my approach. Yeah. Can we just talk about the Scottish GRA reform? Um, you know, it's it's kind of stalled, fallen down. Um, no, no, well, next, ding, ding, seconds out, next round. Yeah, what is the next round? Nin- Where are 19- we going with that? 19th and 20th of September, mm. um, Scottish Outer House, so their version of the High Court, um, in front of Lady Justice Haldane, and the Scottish government have brought judicial review proceedings claiming that the UK government's use of Section 35 of the Scotland mm-hmm. Act is unlawful. And um, Lady Haldane will hear arguments over two days and then rule on that. Now, chances are, even if the Scottish government win at that stage, there's two stages of appeal. There's the Scottish Inner House, mm-hmm. which is like their version of the Court of Appeal, and then potentially it comes to the Supreme Court in London. Wow. So um, certainly, unless there's a change of government along the way in the in the UK, it seems likely that all it'll have to be fought through all st- three stages because I can't see the UK government um, can can you see um, th- this government rolling on its back and waving its no. legs in the air and saying that's fine. So yeah. I think there are going to be those stages to go through. Uh, but at least the Scottish government are up for the fight. So we'll probably end up in the Supreme Court, and we'll get a we'll get a ruling yeah. um, in probably in early October. I'd have thought from that first stage in Scotland. But then there's another stage in Scotland, and then the Supreme Court potentially. So there are potentially two further stages in court after that. And what what's your view of how that whole thing was conducted, and you know the way? The the you know the the government tried to I'm, well, well stop here, using that. Here we, bump, here we bump into law a bit. I'm slightly involved in some of that challenge, right? And so I have to be a bit careful mm-hmm. about what I say. But the so so let's keep my comments um, lawyery, if we can put it that way. Yeah. So what the to be lawful, that use of Section 35 has to show that there's a, an adverse effect on the operation of equality law in the whole of the UK. Um, and that's what the UK government have relied on. Now, some parts of that, and they've published their reasons for doing that, and some parts of that have more substance than others. I mean, the, one part says that there'll be administrative difficulties for the tax authorities. Well, so there are already um, because you know trans people can't change the base information on uh, tax information unless they have a GRC. Yeah. But there are plenty of trans people who live with a name that doesn't match, for example, the sex on their tra- mm-hmm. on their tax records, and yet the tax authorities manage to um, uh, cope with that perfectly well because people have a unique taxpayer number. And actually, the tax authorities don't care what your name is. As long as you're the unique yeah. taxpayer number, they'll collect the tax from you. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely collect one might think that that aspect of what the UK government had said is 
um, not so strong, there may be arguments about other parts of it that are stronger. I, th- I did read the list of, you know, um, reasons. Some of them seem very, you know, tenuous at best. Yeah, but others may may require a bit more thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this, this kind of climate has been ramped up yeah. recently, you know, because I mean, this apparently this is like the longest fought over piece of legislation in the Scottish Parliament. I've had to. Uh, yeah, well, there have been a couple of previous examples where the sort of UK government have, have rattled the sabre. Mm. Uh, there was one about um, immigrants and asylum, right. and the Scottish government stepped back because it was right that, that, that they were trespassing into an area that was uh, really the preserve of the UK government right. overall. Um, what is true is that it was the only time the Scots Parliament so far have sat beyond midnight. Because there was there was a rearguard action being fought by the Conservatives in the Scottish Parliament when it went through Parliament to debate every point, take every potential amendment. There's, there's yeah, I, of, I, I was watching most of that as it was being. Well, funnily enough, well, when we when we got to midnight, it turns out that the the, the very eco friendly Scottish Parliament building turns its own lights off at midnight if nobody else. <laughs> and so we were all sat there, and the security people came around and said, "Well." We're all, and the MPs were still in the chamber and they came around and said, well, everybody needs to sit still at midnight because we need to press a button to turn the lights back on again. There was no way to stop them going off uh, because the Scots Parliament had never sat beyond midnight before. So you uh, were plunged into darkness. We were. We had 10 or 15, it was like 15 seconds of, you know, do we play musical chairs or do what we do? Everybody... <laughs> Everybody sat still and whoever it was pressed the right button and the lights came on again. From an outside perspective, just watching it, it just seemed like there was so much effort from various lobby groups to to influence the public opinion, talking about prisons, talking about sports, talking about things that probably have nothing to do. And it was to to create a climate of of discourse about trans people that I'd never seen so much of because I I was being rang up by, you know, talk TV. Can you come on and talk about Isla Bryce? And Mm -hmm. I said, I don't, do you know what? I I don't actually want to talk about this because I don't know anything about it. And if you want a trans person to talk about this, you'd have to get somebody that's worked in a prison. I'm sorry. But it's like, it was constantly like this. And I'm thinking, why? Because, because that, the, the, I did do a little experiment with Talk TV and GB News, and I counted how many times the word trans was mentioned one day. And it was something like 60 or 70. And that wasn't even when they were they had a trans topic. They were just speaking generally about the news. And it, it seems to be constant now that we've become well, a... Sub- I have to say, I mean, trans is being used as a wedge, wedge issue. Yes, it is. In, yeah. in politics. Absolutely. And there's no doubt about and that. And there's a... There's a similar thing in America as well, I think. Well, yeah, it's not working so well. And and America have tried this. And it, I mean, it was a bit disastrous in the midterm elections uh, mm. a while ago. The um, Arguably, the Conservative government haven't got very good arguments on economic matters in the UK. They're not doing so well on economic matters. And so there's this idea that you can have a culture war and that that is a way of showing commitment to their people, if I can put it that way. Um, In my view, it's a terrible mistake. Um, I mean, as it happens, whisper it quietly, but I'm an old-fashioned liberal Tory. I believe in 
uh, free enterprise. My dad ran his own business, but I also believe in safety nets and you know looking after people in society. There's no place for me in the current Tory party because they took this, you know, they, they drank in a massive uh, dose of UKIP and moved to the right. Yeah. Um, and I'm equally, uh, I'll be frank, I'm a European. I believe in uh, Britain being, uh, having an active part in Europe. So that yeah. to mm-hmm. me was an amazing, amazingly crazy thing to do. It was indeed. My- but, um, you know, that's, uh those are my beliefs and i think i'm really really sad because the conservative party the old conservative party had some really good features about it every party has good and bad um but what we now have is just awful Mm. deserves to be out of power yeah um and let's hope we can have some sort of reset in UK politics. I mean, the odd thing is that I've been doing some parliamentary law recently, and you've you've seen me operating in Parliament, and I have really good links to all four political parties, significant parties in the UK, so Conservative, Liberal, Labour, and the SNP, and appear to be trusted by, you know, useful people from each party. And it's a good way to be able to influence the future in a particular small area well the the only people that have written back to me when i've expressed concerns have been caroline noakes anam kazar and penny morden and and it's um you see because i i was arguing with people recently about because i because i've got this thing am i I getting a bit dark do i need to put my light on in my hotel no it's fine no it's fine okay no it's fine it's just i see i was going to say labor don't seem too different to the tory party at the moment i don't see a lot of difference in there policy making or policy um, ideas no well Sakir Starmer seems to be working hard to mm. I, I think he has a really difficult task because he's got an enormous lead at the moment historically the Labour Party is very good at starting a fight in a room with only the Labour Party in the in the room and Sakir Starmer must be sitting there worried that something will happen over the next year or so until we get to a general election to threaten that enormous lead because unfortunately there are some people i mean we just had had some fighting about the mayor in the northeast of england in the last few days yeah. the northeast mayor i've forgotten his name but um wasn't selected for re-election and the labor have selected a new candidate and the existing northeast mayor has said he's then going to stand as an independent and labor does have a bit of a history of starting a fight with itself especially if it thinks it's in a comfortable place and I can sort of understand Sakir Starmer wanting to sit quietly on the fence and keep everybody together ready for what general election that comes along. And let's hope that they follow their um, libertarian and uh, individual rights-based history and do right by people in the future. If, yeah, if there, there is a danger in, in sitting on the fence. Um in, you know that apart, apart from a very pointy thing sticking in your bottom. Well, it's yeah, it's yeah, just that, very that lead you know, they, it, they have you know. couldn't. You know, there's there's quite a few months between now and the election for it to, you know, well, it's just really, away. to me, it's just really sad that when that politicians are being asked questions like, "Can a woman have a uh, penis?" Ridiculous. You know, it's like 
you know, I know why they do it because it's a cheap shot, and and Nick yeah. Ferrari can play those yeah. kind of games. But uh, it's like and, it's and like when I prime minister can make jokes about yeah, horrible. Yeah. horrible, and that is playing to a particular slice of the political demographic, um, and it's an awful thing to do. I mean, it it, it condemns the people who do those things. Yeah. I mean, once again, we haven't seen that from. So Keir Starmer hasn't made, you know, he he's not come out with a clear statement, well, has he? He's never. I've... No, no, no. But he hasn't done the sort of thing that Rishi Sunak's done, and that I don't know, um, Kemi Badenoch and Suella Braverman have done in terms <laughs> of those statements and some elements. But equally, there are some Labour members who are very gender critical. There are um, indeed, and uh, not perhaps having so much influence in the party. I mean, a lot of people. Um, are critical of the Labour Party for not sitting on Rosie Duffield, for example. Mm, yeah. well, I was going to mention, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've complained about her many times and uh, she just seems to double down every time and with no punishment, no, nothing seems to happen. It's well, as though they're scared to do it because they're, you know, they're, I, they're worried about losing votes. I have absolutely no brief for the senior members of the Labour Party, but I suspect that they're in, in a position of not wanting to start that fight within the mm. party might be somewhere else and uh, hopefully as i say once they're in power their libertarian transition their, their traditions mm. uh, you know they are the party who enacted the equality act um will take over um, you know they are a party based on um individuals and people uh in a and not big business in a way that some of the other certainly the conservative party are um, so, you know, I, I don't mean it as a political comment, but I think there is a political real, reality out there. And in my view, if we're considering how trans rights are likely to progress, then if we're going to choose between Conservative and Labour, it's a pretty straightforward choice, I would have thought. Yeah, let's talk about the HRC. Because there's, there's been a couple of um, things that have been going on recently. Um the first one would be the the guidance document they put out, really the non statutory guidance document, <laughs> and the then train the, the, the train, train wreck, wreck, as you call it, yeah. And then the, the other the other um, thing was this, um, you know, the redefinition of or yeah. the definition of sex, the, the letter to Kemi uh, Madden. Mm. Yeah. So, what would you say about those two issues? I think the HRC has plainly lost its way mm. under. Uh, Kishwa Faulkner. Um, it, I mean, take the take the guidance published in April April twenty twenty two. Firstly, it's not consistent with the statutory guidance. It's actually contrary to the statutory guidance, therefore yeah. contrary to the law. And it appears to be uh, a set of instructions for how you can lawfully discriminate. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that that seems to be its logical focus. And some of the examples of using you, that thing are just yeah. horrendous. No, Did you see the, the latest meeting? Of... But the really good bit, I think Frieda's just drawn attention to that, is that <laughs> at, at a fairly recent board meeting of the mm. HRC, they go, well, some people are following our, our non-statutory guidance, but a lot of people don't like it and, and think it's, um, you know, nasty to trans people and therefore aren't following it. Well, they probably read my takedown of it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and well, business see one of the things um, 
during the Boris period, there were some proposals to be nasty to trans people in the way that law might change. And actually what happened is that business ganged up on the Conservative Party and said, we value our trans employees and we value our trans customers and we don't want laws that are nasty to trans people. And the Boris administration backed off doing something that it might have done. And actually, yeah, I mean, that was around the time when they were having that international um, conference right. that got cancelled and yeah. you know, trans in the city were involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With and all actually, that stuff at the time. Yeah. Business, you see, it's back to that um, we talked earlier about organisations who value diversity, and business certainly does. Business knows oh, yeah. that if it wants, um, you know, a wide variety of people through the door to buy their stuff, work for them, do whatever, then inclusive is the way forward, and being vile to people is not the way forward. And mm. so, um, you know, a lot of people were quite scared when we left the EU, for example, because you know there there are European directives that had got baked into our laws and now are not in quite the same way. The UK Parliament has got quite a degree of freedom in how it changes things. But for example, the Bill of Rights that, um, oh dear, who was that MP from Surrey who's no longer there anymore? Um, Not sure. The Anyway, I've forgotten his name, um, who was promoting the Bill of Rights, such such a small person. And that's been dropped. So, the, you know, the Bill of Wrongs has been dropped by the, the current government. They're not going to try and push that through before the end of their time. So I think, actually, society... Is that is Dominic people, Raab? That's, that's who I meant. Dominic I was being rude about, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, that was his big thing. And, of course, that's not going forward. So, um, you know, the present government is happily being horrible about immigrants in terms of the asylum bills. Mm just going through Parliament just at this moment. But the Bill of Wrongs didn't go forward. Um, and the school's guidance that, that is batting to and fro between yeah. Gillian Keane yeah, Keegan, and Kemi Badenoch. I don't know if you saw Kemi or Kemi was being interviewed from New Zealand. I did see that. Yes, she was talking I'm about not, that trade that, agreement. No, something, that there's something coming out this week, isn't there? Have not on this. Well, but then she was it's interviewed in the school's guidance. And... What you had is you had the Telegraph at the weekend saying it's coming out this week. Mm. And no, it's not because we hear from uh, the cabinet office that it's actually the final version is not with number ten. Okay. And what you tend to get, you because journalism is has some very low standards these days, yeah, in the it's rubbish. and you get what are called bounce articles. So where a particular view is taken and the people who run and own the Telegraph would like that pushed forward, they will publish something like, it's coming out this week. Yeah. So that if somebody has to turn around and say, no, it's not, then outrage can, you know, can be outrage about it's not coming out this week. And it's, they're really struggling um, to be able to publish school's guidance that's sufficiently nasty um to satisfy the people who would like nasty schools guidance but, mm, but it, it's right side of the law and it's actually it, it's actually it's, really difficult to be to discriminate lawfully it seems to fit the news agenda rather than the public will if you understand what i'm saying yeah. i mean it seems I, to be like this constant can be bad enough playing to the press rather than to the electorate i, I have a significant schools practice and i advise schools on discrimination matters and safeguarding matters 
and schools want to do the best by the children who are there they want helpful guidance that says when the you know because not every school deals with a trans person when the trans person comes to comes to the headmistress's office and says miss i'd like to talk to you about i've got an issue i'd like to talk to you about all the parents turn up with their child and say you know as of the new term we'd like john to be jane or jane to be john or whatever in the new term then what do you do and that's what schools need they they want guidance that is helpful and practical and all the rest of it they don't want to be the center of uh, you know a political row about how you deal with people yeah. um, and the balance articles are really are really unhelpful but i mean that's but it seems to it seemed there was a story a couple a few weeks ago about uh it was a case of school bullying really there was a child that was expressing gender and then the two girls seemed to be it, well, I don't know if it was bullying but they were having this heated discussion and a teacher stepped in and then oh, yeah, like, yeah and and the, and the story was it became that there were children tying there were cats but the problem with that is that's an old trope you know we've seen that story before what what it, what it seemed to be is that one of the children in in the conversation with the teacher has said, well, mm. you know, how would it be if somebody identified as a cat? Yeah. You know, as part of the conversation. It, and that was picked up on by uh, Kevin Badenoch, who yeah. raced, you know, it was it was almost like dial 999 and every school inspector <laughs> in the southeast had to rush off to ride. To and it's just come school. out, hasn't it? And, and, it, and it's complete nonsense. Yeah. You know, there, there is no child identifying as a cat in at, at Rye in the school. Well, we knew that. <laughs> So, the, no, these, it, so these these train wreck bits of guidance that keep coming out, and we we seem to have had you know train wreck one. We've had number two, number three's on its way. Um, you know, just so just getting back to that definition of sex thing. Um, where do you think that's going to end up? Um, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. No, to be honest. I think I think it's so difficult to do, and the consequences are so bonkers. So, what we're gonna we're going to end up with trans men forced into women's lavatories. You know, we've we've seen the effect of bathroom bills in the US. Yeah. I mean, for example, the people who are really affected by bathroom bills tended to be um, uh, gender variant lesbians because there are, by my calculations, there are around 40 times the number of um, butch lesbians in the population as trans people. Mm. So if we're thinking about who's going to get challenged for their use of public toilet facilities, surprise, surprise in the US, it wasn't trans people. It was butch lesbians, largely. Yeah. I mean, the whole so, thing is just totally un- it's unworkable. I mean, how do you enforce something like well, that? Guess, it's well, madness. who's going to stand there? I mean, okay, we know that Kelly J, Minchel, Keane, whatever she calls herself... <laughs> Uh, wants people to stand there guarding entrances with, you know, automatic weapons. But we don't live in that country, fortunately. Yeah. So but... it's and and you know when I go to the loo in Sainsbury's at the weekend, and and do my business in the place I do that, and don't cause anybody any difficulty. Mm. We we're still British, and the thing about being British is that you don't make a fuss. You know, mm, yeah, and exactly. if people, the way our society works is if you're not really affecting other people, then, you know, it's a bit like when we still smoked. I mean, nobody that I know smokes anymore, but 
when we were working through that, we got to a point where, well, you could smoke, but as long as you don't impose it on somebody else. Yeah. And that's pretty much true of, I mean, that's the way Britain works, is that if people are minding their own business and getting involved yeah. with their own business, people don't want to be bothered by, you know, ideological people who are going to leap out of the nearest bush and say, aha, you know, <laughs> you're not female well, enough to go into that, in, in through that door. It, yeah. it's, the moment you start to get to that point, the majority of the British population go, why? Yeah, it just seems yeah. to me that people are like, you know, Kelly J. Keen are the aggressors because, and yeah. and and what they want seems to be being talked about is, is in terms of you know in in government. No, well, at the moment, yeah. we've got we've got emboldens a, people a horrible right wing government who aren't running the economy particularly well. Got us into Brexit, which is a bit of a disaster. Yeah, they've had to get that. Don't really. Lot. I've got I've got plenty of people who are actually struggling to pay their bills, having to use, you know, food banks and things are facing high inflation, which starts to raise difficulties with things like pay settlements and mm. civil service. And Mortgages. what have we got? We've got the doctors on dispute, in dispute at the moment, and we junior doctors who don't really have good argument, uh, good answers to those things. And so we'll happily fancy a culture war. We have media who are happy to fan those flames because either it supports the people they'd like to support or it sells newspapers or advertising around electronic versions of newspapers, yeah. clickbait. And we just have to, as trans people, we just have to sort of grit our teeth, know that the wheel will turn and, um, you know, wait until it gets better. Yeah. And, it, and it will. And that's... Well, yeah. One of the things I worry about is if I was to ever need a barrister such as yourself, how on earth would I afford it? Now, this this is a worry when you run into issues like I did with you know my kind of centre parks case, where I was asking questions around does the um, does the spa have any rules around trans people using changing rooms? And it got into a big spat, well, which was eventually sorted out by sure. a carefully worded letter from a barrister, which it didn't cost me any money in the end. Well, you know, so how how do people very afford it? Yeah, in financial terms, you're either very brave, like Rose Taylor was, yeah, and you know, put themselves on the line financially, which is what she did. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're a working person, join a trade union, right? Mm. Because trade unions, will, trade unions will support working people uh, through arguing about their individual rights, and you can then afford. My chambers are quite big on union instructions, and we, we've done some quite significant cases uh, for uh, workers and, and by unions. The There is crowdfunding, which sometimes works if you've got a case that will catch the public imagination. And there are legal advice services who offer free legal advice or an occasion representation and help. Um, and indeed, some people have insurance. Um, attached to their about a between a quarter and a third of people have uh, legal expenses insurance attached to their mortgages if you've got a mortgage because the mortgage company would rather that somebody who's out of work sues and gets a settlement and continues That's to pay the mortgage rather than the mortgage company have to uh, foreclose but yeah it's an issue I mean I'm I'm reassuringly expensive <laughs> <laughs> which is a good uh, thing to hear really. that's, 
that's the uh, conflict. You're either cheap and or people might yeah. think you're rubbish or expensive. And you well, always, no, get, yeah. always get the lawyer that you can afford, I mean, right? The most no expensive. No fee. <laughs> well, no win no fee is is difficult because I try and persuade people not to go down that route because if we succeed, we take a big fat bite out of their compensation. Mm. But some people can't afford it to just, bring the case. It seems so to I mean, guess the first the, the first step that... in a case is, is what? To have a free chat with somebody and just well, I, do, I do what's called direct access. So you can come to me without a solicitor in certain circumstances. I wouldn't take every case. But you can usually find a lawyer to give you a first view on something. But I would say if you're a working person, join a union. Um, you know, and if not, uh, then you've got to find some other way. If you're a um an employer, join a um join the trade organization related to your um you know your organization or there are um, lawyers or other organizations that offer trade deals for employers in terms of dealing with things so there's usually a way mm -hmm. um, uh, and there are other funding models as well yeah. and i guess if it's an important case like taylor versus jaguar land rover you know that will get the attention of um you know barristers who are interested in those you know, forwarding those can cases. Do. Yeah, can yeah. do. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think that kind of gets us to the point where, you know, I think we need to ask you, what do we need to do as trans people? You know, there's there's various kind of activism that we can do. You know, we're, I'm not sure about how effective it all is, but, you know, what would what, what's your moment, view on activism yeah. and what we can do as trans people to try and change some oh. of this negative stuff that's going on? I mean, what I would say is that everyone can do different things. You know, people shouldn't do anything they're uncomfortable doing. I mean, I'm very comfortable standing up the front and, you know, being the tip of the missile. And that's not mm. where everybody wants to be. Mm. But there are always quiet things that you can do. I mean, I live in a delightful little Somerset village um, with only a few hundred people. And we have a women's group in the village. Uh, some years ago, they, they started it a couple of years before I moved to the village. And they found that to affiliate to the WI was several hundred pounds a year. And they very sensibly said, what do we get for our several hundred pounds a year? And the answer was a list of suggested speakers and the ability to call yourself the Women's Institute. And they thought, well, we could keep our several hundred pounds a year and spend it on gin. <laughs> and That's a good call idea. ourselves, yeah, call ourselves, and the, my village starts with an S, so I won't tell you what it is, but it's the something starting with an S, ladies and girls group. Just just think of the initials for a moment. Have you have you thought it through? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's what <laughs> that's what it's called in the village. And after I'd lived there for a bit, they said, "Would you come and do a talk?" And I said, "Law." Uh, no, uh, railways. No, no, um, trans things. Oh, okay, all right. So I did the talk for this thirty or forty people in a Somerset village, thirty or forty ladies in a Somerset village about transition and my background and my history and my struggles and how it worked out for me and what have you. And the way you find out whether that's gone well in our village is that you go and ask Roger, who runs the village shop. Or in fact, this year it's just become a community shop in our village, but he used to run the village shop. 
and was the center of all gossip in the village. And so a couple of days later, I popped into the village shop and I said, Roger, how did that go? And he said, <laughs> oh, they really liked it. But yeah. there were one or two questions that they thought one or two people wanted to ask, but they didn't know they could ask in a sort of collective group about things. Would you mind asking a few, answering a few more questions? And I said, no, stop. So for about a year, whenever I walked into the village to get my newspaper, Granny would pop out of the side door of the cottage and say, I really liked your talk, but can I can I offer you a cup of tea when you come back from the shop? Because there were a couple of things I wanted to ask. And so I've had those private conversations as well. Mm. So there is this Somerset village that's sort of ready for its next trans person. They've <laughs> understood it and they've got it. And I, I think earlier I talked about changing the world one person at a time. Yeah. And I what I would say to trans people is don't be frightened of who you are. Find those few people that you're comfortable to talk to about your circumstance, you know, reach out into the community and find those and do your changing of the world one or two people at a time. Yeah. And so the next time that trans issues come up, uh, trans people for that one or two people are no longer the ogre that gender critical people think we are or the media say we are or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that those people think, well, hang on a moment, I've got my trans friend who's actually pretty normal and yeah. has the same uh, desires and and goals in life that I do or my friends do. And they're not like that. You know, they're just another member, just another person. Yeah. And you will have won the future, that one or two people at a time. And if you do nothing else, do that. Yeah, so I think I think what you're saying is, you know, do each to their own, do what you can, do what you're comfortable with, um, yeah. <laughs> one by one. You know, live, as we go. Live your life some people well. will go on TV, some will do other things. You know? Yeah, live your life well, but do it as openly as you feel able to. Yeah, and if you're able to reach out into the community a bit, then do that. You know, join your community, be part of your community as yourself, and don't be frightened of doing that. And um that will gradually win the future yeah and what would your message be to the trans community of which we are all members um at at the moment with all this negativity going on yeah just have courage um it 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 will pass It, it might take a little while it's it it's quite an uncomfortable time at the moment but very likely we're going to have a change of government within you know spitting distance spitting political distance mm. where things will, will be better and even if you're a conservative i suspect the effect will be that the conservative party will have to rebuild itself after losing the next general election and may hopefully come to the view that actually those policies it was pursuing in the way it was doing things weren't the right way so even if you're a conservative trans person there may be a positive future for you mm. um but for trans people generally, you know, um, sometimes the wheel doesn't always turn forward as fast as we'd like it. But for them, and for the moment, the job is to sort of hold the ratchet in place and stop it turning backwards. Yeah. Mm. But the world always moves on. There always is the next issue and the next issue. At the moment, trans people are having a tough time, but that won't be so in a, a small number of years' time. And we just need to not be excluded from society, take our place, show that we are 
responsible, respectable members of society with a contribution to make. Yeah. Freedom. I mean, I know you have a job that's tremendously important in terms of our society. Um, I have a job that I love doing and, you know, people pay me to do. You're a but you're a healthcare worker and you're far more important than I am. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the thing I like about my job is I meet so many different people all the time and I have a new social situation nearly every day when I'm at work. And I'm also, I've been privileged to be part of training diversity courses because people recognize and, that you know, I'm part of. Everybody should do it to the extent they're comfortable, should do a small bit of that. Mm-hmm. And, and life will get better. It has done for every minority community, bit yeah. by bit by bit. And, you know, if you'd been a gay person in the UK 30 years ago with Section 28 and the way the media was, you couldn't have believed that we'll get, we would have got to the position we are now where none of that's acceptable anymore. And in 30 years' time, I mean, shame is I won't be around to see it, of course, but in 30 years' time, I'm sure trans people would be in that position. How quickly we get there depends on us all just gently moving forward mm. so yeah. hope for the future i think i think your words have calmed a lot of people now yeah. you've got to be an optimist if you live my life you have to be an optimist mm, i mean me. you know i here i am um accepted in one of the great professions having a really fun time doing well in my profession being respected in what I do, loving what I do, yeah. being able to help a few people and a few organisations in terms of what they do, what could be better? Well, exactly. it's been great speaking to you. Before you end up in complete darkness, because I can see the sun setting around you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's glamorous, just... it's glamorous Croydon, and right. <laughs> um, you know we get we get uh, the law I do takes me all over the country and Scotland, right. Northern Ireland as well. I'll be looking out for you. Really glamorous places. So I'll be looking out for you on the parliamentary select committee meetings and TV again. So uh, at the end of, shall we do the song, Vicky? We do. There is a a Um, bit of a tradition. You don't have to do it. Where we have a little song at the end of the podcast. It's a very simple (laughs) song and it's just one line. It's don't forget to subscribe. (laughs) And Frida is our, you know, resident expert. I do a bit of music. So she's going to lead us. So the, <laughs> okay, it's very we've simple. Never, There's nothing to worry we, about. We've it's, never got it completely right. So I think no. Susie Green was the best at this. Susie but, Green was good. Yes, uh, we'll try. Well, the song goes, "Don't forget to subscribe." That's it. That's it. And That's I will, and Vicky will count us in. I'll count. I, okay. I got to sing this with you then. You yes, do. you're. you're <laughs> yeah, if you would, please. <laughs> well, you don't so, have to. So, Frida, you lead us because that's you know, that's yeah, that's you, your role. If you count us in. Okay, one, one two, three. Two, three. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe. Song. Well, that was terrible. <laughs> it was it was as good as the rest. I don't tap dance either. No, no we're not, we're not asking you to tap dance. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> well, again, thank you for yeah. giving us your time. I know it's precious, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, thank you, Robin, for coming you. on and doing this. It's great. Thank you very much. Okay, um, speak to you and soon. And to, to all those people who might be watching or listening, Thank you for spending some time with us. Please don't forget to subscribe. Come back, listen to us again. And uh, we'll see you soon. So Bye for now. I think we'll sign us off there. Um, that's it for today. Bye for now.